Italian style. Italian style. The Italian style. Well, that's the Italian style when he was a big. Diamond Dave Castagno. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Lover's Lane in my hometown was any street with two or more streetlights burnt out. Which would explain why so many of my peers are already grandparents. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you backseat honeys from around the world, you're listening to Radio Screamer, the greatest show on earth. 
Thank you. Thank you. I love you. You're so kind. Keep it coming. That is enough. This is Diamond Dave Castagno, bringing more sex appeal than a young Vince Neil. I can be sexy. When I started this program in 2010, there was a 15-year-old girl from Sweden who heard the show, fell in love with it, and has been listening ever since. Well, this week she turns 20 and had requested a Firehouse song, which was today's opener from their 1990 self-titled debut with Lover's Lane. Happy birthday, Frida. In fact, Firehouse is the only non-Cat House band we'll be playing today as we gear up for my interview with Ricky Rackman, co-founder of the world-famous Cat House, as well as producer of the Cat House Live, which will be in Irvine, California on August 15th, and will feature over 20 bands. This particular event is of special interest to me, considering Screamer Magazine's long history with Ricky and the Cat House. Not to mention the lineup could be Radio Screamer's playlist on any given week. So today we're going to play music strictly from Cat House bands, including Guns N' Roses, Faster Pussycat, L.A. Guns, and more, right after this message. Screamer Magazine, born on the streets of L.A. in 1987 and still going strong into the 21st century. The July issue of Screamer Magazine, featuring an exclusive interview with Breaking Benjamin, is available now at ScreamerMagazine.com. With a near six-year wait for new material, Dark Before Dawn, the band's fifth studio album, debuted at number one on the Billboard Top 200. Benjamin Burnley, the band's namesake, discusses music, health, sobriety, and fatherhood. Also in this issue are interviews with Trickster, Fear Factory, Toad the Wet Sprocket, The Bloodline, and The Defiled, as well as live coverage and photos of Steel Panther, Delta Deep, Hailstorm, December in Red, Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Experience, and so much more. For the latest news, reviews, and all that's metal, visit ScreamerMagazine.com and don't just read it, devour it. Screamer Magazine, still the loudest mag on the planet.
night long? Really? That electric gypsy must have some fresh D-cells in it. You're a pig. This is Diamond Dave Castagno, oink oink, and you're listening to Radio Screamer coming to you from SoCal. And that was L.A. Guns with Electric Gypsy from their 1988 self-titled debut album. I just love that video, the bikes, the desert, the music, good package all together. I took my bike out this weekend for a ride with some bros, longtime Screamer Mag photog Rick Hendricks, and Stu Herrera, an old KNAC alumnus who's been at KLOS now for 20 plus years. Had a great time. Hit lots of roads I've never ridden, so that was really cool. Before that was Gilby Clark era GNR covering Nazareth's Hair of the Dog from 1993's The Spaghetti Incident. And initiating that menage a trois of sleaze was Cat House co-founder Tammy Down and Faster Pussycat with Don't Change That Song, the first track on side A of their 1987 self-titled debut record. I love saying that. Record. Hell, even CDs are becoming nostalgic. I weep for the future. You can catch all three of those artists at the Cat House Live August 15th in Irvine, California. Uh, Faster Pussycat, Gilby Clark, and L.A. Guns. And Tracy Guns will be there also. So I'm guessing a reunion of some sorts. But with all he's got going on with Gunzo and Devil City Angels, I wouldn't bet on it being a lasting relationship. <laughs> Girls, you know what we're talking about. We're going to take a quick news break, but we'll be right back with some more Cat House favorites. So stick around, won't you? Screamer Magazine. World Metal Report. This is metal anchor Jen Mitchell cranking it up with today's loudest news on the planet. On July 3rd, Iron Maiden were awarded with the prestigious O2 Silver Cleft by Nordiff Robbins for their outstanding contribution to UK music. Bruce Dickinson was on hand to receive the award and later divulged on the red carpet that his recent battle with cancer involved two tumors, with one about the size of a golf ball on the back of his tongue and in his neck. Dickinson is now cancer-free and plans to tour in 2016. For now, Maiden fans can look forward to their new album, The Book of Souls, which is set to be released on September 4th. Pre-orders are currently being taken at IronMaiden.com. Richie Blackmore, former guitarist for Deep Purple and Rainbow, told La Parisian newspaper that he's contemplating a handful of reunion dates for next summer to celebrate both bands' rock catalogs. A few months back, Rainbow's previous frontman Joe Lynn Turner stated Blackmore was itching for a renewed collaboration, though Blackmore has not yet named who may be joining him on stage. During his recent interview with CT Now, Def Leppard guitarist Phil Collin blasted music streaming service Spotify, referring to them as an exploitative enterprise almost as bad as Napster. In terms of streaming music, Collin feels something has to change in order to protect the rights of the artists in order to prevent revenue from lining the pockets of CEOs versus the musicians. Collin's full interview is available by visiting ctnow.com. The backlash from Eddie Van Halen's caustic comments regarding his claim that he taught former bassist Michael Anthony every note he knew didn't seem to affect the band this past weekend when they kicked off their summer tour in Seattle. In fact, the band performed several deep cuts from their earlier catalogs, including the tracks In a Simple Mind, Dirty Movies, and Drop Dead Legs, along with classic hits as well. By demand, more tour dates have been added, with tickets currently on sale at VanHalen.com. This has been metal anchor Jen Mitchell cranking it up and out with today's loudest news on the planet. Screamer Magazine. World Metal Report.
You're listening to Radio Screamer with Diamond Dave Castagno. It's nothing more dangerous than a boy with charm. He's a one-stop shop, makes the panties dry. He's a sweet talking sugar-coated candy man. Who, me? Sweet talking? Mm, sometimes. Sugar-coated? Never. Panty dropper? Oh, yes! It's a curse, fellas, trust me. The lure of the animal. From 1989, Psycho Cafe was banged tango with someone like you. Their biggest hit to date. Those guys were cat house regulars along with Jet Boy, who just brought us Feel the Shake from their 1988 album of the same title. I saw those cats a few years ago uh, during a reunion show at the Whiskey, and they absolutely murdered it, man. Mickey Finn is such a great frontman. Can't wait to see him again in Irvine. We're going to take a very short break, 30 seconds to be exact, and we'll return with my guest, Ricky Rackman. So don't you go anywhere. Hey, this is Diamond Dave Castagno reminding you to sign up for your free membership at Radioscreamer.com. And when you do, you'll receive an all-access pass to the entire site where you can listen to past shows till you pass out. In addition, when you register with Radioscreamer.com, you'll automatically be registered with ScreamerMagazine.com where you'll receive a free vintage Screamer Magazine download right in your own personal magazine rack. So don't wait. Sign up today at Radioscreamer.com. Uh, my guest today uh, is a man who has done a whole lot with his life and has had a, a career full of many twists and turns. When Screamer Magazine entered the uh, music scene in 1987, this, this young man was already perched high upon his throne at the Cat House. And ladies and gentlemen, it's my, my pleasure to bring you uh, Mr. Ricky Rackman. Ricky, how are you today, brother? I'm good. I would say perched high, not perched high on a throne, throne because I was like loaded all the time, but I wouldn't say perched high on a throne. But yeah, 87 was the year that everything just kind of started to really pick up and things were, were going pretty good. Uh, you know, I say a throne because when I came in, bro, you were, you were king. Uh, well, 87 was funny because 87, I mean, remember, 87 was three years before I ever appeared on MTV. Mm-hmm. But the Cat House was just starting to get going. All of our, I guess you would call them house bands, records were coming out, which was Guns N' Roses, Faster Pussycat, L.A. Guns, you know, Jet Boy, all those bands, their records were just coming out. And we were watching all of our friends become rock stars, you know, and I was the guy that wasn't in the band, but was kind of, you know, with all my friends because the club had started to get a little bit of notoriety. So can you take us just through some of the early days? I mean, how did, now, how did you start the club and who were some of the first bands you had come through and who did you know was going to make it and who did you think was going to make it and didn't make it? Well, the, um, it started, I used to be, I was a club DJ. I used to DJ clubs and play dance music on turntables and I used to do that scratching and all that stupid stuff that became so, you know, popular in, in rock bands for a while, but I didn't use a USB or a laptop. I had to carry vinyl. And I was always playing these clubs and playing dance music and stuff like that because that's what I got paid to do. And then I got hired to DJ Tommy Lee's wedding, and this is when he married um, Tom. This is when he married Heather Locklear. And I was playing rock and roll, which was my passion. Even though I might have been out there DJing, playing, you know, Run DMC, my passion was still, you know, hard rock, heavy metal. So I started thinking, God, how cool would it be to do a club where all I did was was just put, just DJ and just play rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And and I just and I just become roommates with Tammy. Tammy and I were friends, and his band was starting. And I said, you know, what? I want to do a rock dance club. Just we'll have a place for all because you know. Right back then, late 85, all these bands were just kind of really starting. and We had a really great scene, and I wouldn't necessarily call it the Sunset Strip scene, because when I think Sunset Strip, I think more in the way of, like, Warrant and bands like that. And we were more like Guns N' Roses, LA Guns, kind of like... like You're a little bit more sleazy. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I brought this up to him. He liked the idea. We just started kind of promoting it, and then... It started as a rock and roll dance club, and it did okay for a while. You know, Guns N' Roses were there from day one. Even when nobody was there, Axel was out there dancing on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. And then more and more bands started to show up. And because more bands started to show up, more girls started to show up because, you know, I had policies of no cameras. And this is without, without it even really taking off. I was very strict on what went down in the club. I wanted this element of sleaze and debauchery. 
and, and privacy at the same at the same sense. And what was that? And uh, and for the for the uh, people there to have their own privacy in terms of photos not being leaked and all that kind Without of stuff. Without a doubt, but not having like VIP. It's like everybody's a VIP. I don't care who you are, you mm-hmm. know. And you know, all the bikers started showing up. So I said, look, park your bikes in front. You know, you don't have to you know park anywhere else. So we always had like lines of bikes in front. And then because all the bands, and when I say bands, I'm talking like you know. Steven Tyler, Nikki Six, and all, all people like that were showing up. Then the girls started showing up. And because the girls started showing up, more bands started showing up. And it wasn't a thing where I was ever saying, you know, when Tammy was on the phone inviting every freaking stripper in town, right. and I started dating, I think, a mud wrestler at the time, so I had her bring all hers. And it wasn't like we were out there saying, God, has got the best-looking girls of any club in Hollywood. We never said that. We did, and anybody ever went to the cat house will say that there were more girls than guys and that's not a lie and they were the best looking girls in hollywood and it's not a, a, a con- contrived thing that i'm saying it just happened that way and because it happened that way it started happening more and more and more and more i will attest to that you know us paying girls to be there anything stupid like that because those were the girls that we were dating they were bringing their friends you know and there was this, this whole scene until cat house started getting this reputation until, you know, they were writing about it in fashion magazines. And I'm like, oh, geez. Right. So, so then Axel, they were going to come out with their Live Like a, Live like a Suicide EP on Izzy Suicide Records, I think. Uzi, Uzi Suicide Records. And I was like, yeah, uh, we'll do something, you know, play acoustically, mm-hmm. you know. And that was even before MTV had unplugged. So, so Guns N' Roses said, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll play acoustic. And I said, well, let me see if I can get some other bands to do it. So the first live show we had were bands just scooping around acoustic, and it was Guns N' Roses, L.A. Guns, um, Jet Boy, and I don't know. If that's the Pussycat, of course. Duh. Right. If that's the Pussycat. That was our first show. That was, un- that was acoustic. And that was a record release party. And obviously it was very, very successful. Right. Then Faster Pussycat said, we want to do our record release party here. And I remember Faster Pussycat saying, you know, we had 600 people for our record release party, and Guns N' Roses only had 400. We're going to be so, you know, right. like thinking like <laughs> we're going to be the bigger, we're going to be bigger than them because we were all coming out at the same time. Right. So there was a level of competition. Yeah, anyone's race at that point. And then I had then the the club was like a dilapidated disco called Osco's, and it finally got bought by Lomans and turned into a mall. So we had to move to another location. When we moved to another location, I had a whole bunch of bands play the opening night. And then slowly but surely, like, you know, bands started wanting to play the Cat House because of the reputation of bands that played it. Right. And every single band that played there went through me. And, you know, we ne- there was only one band that ever paid to play the Cat House, and that was the Black Crows. Really? <laughs> now, Rick, is, is there um, any one uh, band that you were positive was going to make it out of LA and I don't mean you know I just mean make it big that did not was there a surprise band out there that just really shocked you they didn't make it well I mean when you say make it big you know I I honestly remember saying to Axel when they played Welcome to the Jungle on on the radio station I said you guys are a top 40 band now (laughs) not thinking so we always knew these bands would go well I remember when Poison came out with their first video and watching this and going like, it's a real video. Like, we didn't expect this music to get as big as it did. Nobody did. Right. You know, we thought that Poison Made a Video was as high as you could possibly get, and that they played Welcome to the Jungle on, on you know, KNC, or Pirate Radio, rather. Right. So we thought that was the biggest thing. But as far as bands that... Um, there were bands that, that I always thought would be... Would be. I mean, I mean, I know that they made it to a little bit of success, but I don't understand why the London Choir Boys weren't as big as, let's say, the Black Crows. Right. I always thought that they were great, and there, I mean, there's a lot of bands that were Cat House bands that I just can't think of now. Yeah, Bang Tango, I thought was a band that would make it bigger than they did. I hoped they would. Um, I, 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 I love Bang Tango. Bang Tango was the band that we took on the Cat House tour with us. Mm-hmm. Bang Tango is definitely who I call a Cat House band. I wouldn't say that I thought Bang Tango was going to be a lot bigger. You know, I think they had some good stuff. I thought that, but I, I didn't think they'd ever be a band that sold three million records. But I always, I always thought that I always, and still to this day, I think they're a good, fun band. Yeah. Now, Rick, so if, from the Cat House, you spin off and do the Bordello, correct? 
yeah, Cat House after Cat Cat House was doing really well, and um, and then I said, you know what, I go, I want to do a dance club. It's a, because then you know bands started playing at the Cat House, but because what I didn't want to happen was I didn't want to have a live venue that people said who's playing, and it's like so and so. It's like oh, forget it, that I'm not going to go. I wanted people to show up every Tuesday and be surprised who played. So you didn't know if you were going to see Megadeth, Motorhead. White Zombie, or you were going to see L.A. Guns, James Addiction, or whatever. Sure. You know, sure. I I didn't want because, and that's why I think we kept legit is because I always believed we were a rock and roll dance club that would occasionally have bands play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I wanted to open up a true dance club, and you know, my DJ Joseph, who's who's such a great DJ, I wanted him to have more freedom. I I told him I said, look. I want you to play anything. I want you to go from ACDC to Frank Sinatra to, you know, LL Cool J to the Sex Pistols to Donna Summer. I mean, I want you to play anything you want. Just keep that fucking dance floor packed. Right. Right. And um, and he did. And Bordello, we hired, hired the greatest dancers. And Bordello was just awesome. And I never had live bands play except one time we did a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. And there was this like there was a room that I had this blues band playing all the time. That it wasn't necessarily VIP, but you had to like get the okay from me to go in this room. And it didn't matter if you sold a million records; it just meant you were like you know one of the people that ha- that helped the cat house. You were one of my friends. Maybe you were a girl they tried to impress or whatever. So we always had that VIP room, and people would just you know walk in. So one Halloween, we had Glenn Danzig up there with a guitar. Oh, somebody, one guy, I think it was. Uh, was maybe Erie or John Christ with the guitar, and Glenn Danzig just sat out there with a bottle of wine and just played blues music, and people would walk in there and they'd go, is that Danzig playing the blues? No, 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 it can't be. Wow. So Bordello wasn't a live club, but it was a dance club, and Bordello was just a cash cow for me. It was it was just because the expenses were so low, and mm-hmm. we were just, just packing it in there every single week. So, Rick, what what brought the end to to these two clubs, and and your you move on to wrestling after that? What, what, what happened with with the Cat House? It couldn't have lasted forever. You know, the music scene started dying, and we had a good seven year run. And we are not. I don't remember how long. I think it was six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Maybe a longer. I don't, I don't remember. But um, we couldn't have kept it fresh that long. You know, and slowly but surely things started to slow down. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to just die. And I'd rather go out with a good reputation still. And we couldn't keep it fresh. At this time, I'd already been working for MTV. Bordello was still going on, but it wasn't, you know, Canos was a large, large venue, you know. Unless we had 600 people there every single week, it didn't look good. Right. So last night, I put in Motorhead and Dangerous Toys, and then I just called it quit. Did it bum me out? Yeah, it was really, really tough for me because that's all I knew. That mm-hmm. was the job. That, that, that was my job. So that was tough. And then eventually, as that happens with every dance club, Bordello eventually fizzled out as well. Right. And, um, you know, by that time I was working on MTV, so that was going good. Well, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, when you saw, uh, you know, Poison for the first time, you know, their video going, wow, man, this this music has actually made it. You know, I remember seeing you on uh, on Headbangers Ball for the first time going, whoa, look at Ricky. He's on freaking TV. This is awesome. <laughs> It was it was weird. It really was because I did not set out to become a TV personality any way, shape, or form. Was it something I always wanted to do? When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a DJ. I mean, I have a little piece of paper that with a drawing of a record, and it says, I want to be a DJ, and I was 10 years old. The record was Sweet Little Willie. And um, so I always wanted to be a DJ. But this, you know, kind of, and, and I didn't know how to do it. I mean, if you look at the early shows, I was just horrible because I didn't know, really know what I was doing, and I didn't like following instructions, so I just kind of did it. And um, it was just, the whole thing was weird because, you know, the show aired Saturday, and I taped it on Friday, but when I was at home on Saturday nights, I was not at home watching myself on TV. I was going out. Right. So I never really watched Headbangers Ball. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, Headbangers Ball was going good for a while, and then I ended up being a co-host on the radio show Love Line with Dr. Drew, which they were trying to syndicate for the longest time, and I started hosting that show. Within three weeks, it got syndicated, and that show blew up. So then I was doing MTV 
and I was doing Loveline, and Loveline was huge. Then MTV stopped, and um, I was doing Loveline, and at, at a time when I said, like, you know what, I want to... I want to do more than just talk to the same 13-year-old kids about masturbating. <laughs> and, I wanted to do, and I wanted to do my own talk radio show. So then I did talk radio in Los Angeles on Afternoon Drive. Did the Triple R, which was Ricky Rackman Radio, which was freaking huge. I had every celebrity you can imagine. Wow. They had Stern in the morning and me in Afternoon Drive. And then I, I beat up a DJ and got fired and lost absolutely everything. Oh. Everything. Went to jail, came out. Nothing. Zero. Uh, wow. And um, so you had to start from scratch again. Yeah, I, I had to get a job. I mean, I got a job selling cars. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that's saying, my record's going to be huge and I'm going to wait for my record deal. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a worker. Right. And if I'm, I'm always going to be working. If you take Cat House and NASCAR and every one of my jobs away from me right now, I'm not too proud to get a job anywhere. Because for the people that make fun of, like, the rock stars and stuff like that that end up having to get regular jobs. Well, these people have regular jobs. So aren't you in turn making fun of yourself? Right. Would you rather be a rock star that, that was on top of the world for 10 years and then get a regular job or just be a guy that always has a regular job, you know? Uh, yeah, it, it's so weird how we treat people that, that, that have a little bit of fame. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, brother. And I, I, I mean, I know the you know, the loss of that identity. I remember when, you know, Screamer Magazine, when we closed our print doors years ago, as you're saying, when the cat house closed, it was like, you know, that was my identity. Hi, I'm Dave Castagno with Screamer Magazine. You know, now I'm just Dave Castagno, nobody, you know. But I, I'll tell you, I have tremendous amount of respect for these, these artists who aren't too proud to go out and provide for their family. That's what being a man or woman is all about, you know. Thank you. I remember uh, there's a, a, a shock jock named Tom Likas. I remember him. And Tom Lycus used to rip me to sh- of course, until I saw him in person. But um, he ripped me to shreds on the radio, and he used to say, oh, and now Ricky Rackman, he's selling cars. What's the next show going to be? Breakfast with the Beatles when he tries to sell Volkswagens to people? Because I was selling Volkswagens. And I'm like, really, you fat but let's go over something, okay? Every one of your listeners has a regular job. So you're saying that every one of your listeners is a loser? Right. And then I saw him at a hockey game, and I just went up to him. And I'm like, why do you talk? I was, oh, you know, it's just the radio bit. And I just went like, whatever. So that's <laughs> the one thing. Ricky Rackman on the radio and Ricky Rackman in person and Ricky Rackman online is the same person you get, like it or not. Um, I, I want to fast forward. Now, NASCAR, how did you get into NASCAR? Well, I know you mentioned wrestling real quick. Okay. They hired me for wrestling. I did some wrestling gigs. While I was selling cars, I'd get picked up for a couple of wrestling gigs here and there, which was, which was just great. How did, now, how did you land that? That's just that's curious to me. I always liked wrestling, as any true American does. And I used to sit next to Jason Hervey. Me and Tammy sat next to him at the L.A. Kings games. And Jason Hervey was a kid in the Wonder Years, but he was also really good friends with Eric Bischoff. So because I was MTV, they thought, you know, hey, let's bring Ricky to do these spring break things. So I did spring break, and then they had me come back more to do Monday Nitro. But I was always bummed out because, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that's really easy to hate. And I would <laughs> hope that they would have brought me back as a manager or as a heel or do something. And I kept on bringing these suggestions up. I'm like, let me do this. And instead they had me saying, hey, it's Monday Nitro, brought to you by Tough Actin' Tenactin'. You know, I'm like, right. come on, let me do something. Let me be this heel. I'm, I'm a good actor. Let me do all this stuff. And one night Eric Bischoff was all drunk and he came up to me and goes, Ricky, you're going to be the next, next mean Gene Okerlund, which, if, for people that don't know, is a legendary wrestling broadcaster. Okay. And I was telling him, I was like, I don't want to be the next Mean Gene, you know? I want to be the... the I, they never had me do anything, and then finally it just ended, you know? It just mm-hmm. ended. Well, that that was another one. One night I flip on the TV, and there you are, in the center ring, I think, or maybe backstage. I don't remember exactly. I'm going, is that Ricky Rackman? Oh, my gosh. Well, people, don't, people also don't know that, you know, I also hosted and produced it. Pro- produced it. <laughs> I hosted and produced a heavyweight boxing television show called Thunderbox. Well, I didn't know. I mean, I, know I was that. working. I find things that I, the one thing about me is you won't ever see me doing a baseball show, and you won't see me doing a golf show because I don't know anything about it. But if there's something that I like, I'm going to find a way to make a living at it, and that's exactly what I did with NASCAR. People know that from MTV days and even before then, I was always 
even though I grew up in Hollywood, I was always a NASCAR fan. Right. And I just wanted to find a way to do what I do in NASCAR. So I figured, what if I do a radio show? And in between songs, I talk to drivers and talk about NASCAR. And I went around, I came up with this idea for a TV show, and everybody said NASCAR's a southern sport, and why would anybody listen to me? And then Dick Clark's company, United Stations, liked my idea of the radio show. And Racing Rocks has now been on, I think, 13 years. It's on over 120 stations, one day a week. And the show is huge. And uh, and then from there, I got different jobs with NASCAR. And you know, I was with Speed Channel. I was with NASCAR.com. And because I know so much about the sport, because I'm such a fan, you know, I'm, I'm also the spokesperson for Dover International Speedway. I mean, there's a lot of NASCAR jobs that I have that I would say, you know, most of my income, like probably 90%, 80% of my income is from NASCAR. And I'm doing quite well. <laughs> And they have the most dedicated fan base of any sport out there is NASCAR. They do, and the thing that I love about it is their fans are knowledgeable, and they like to talk about it because, you know, in in rock and roll, you know, you like your favorite driver, and that's okay. I mean, favorite band, and that's mm-hmm. great. In NASCAR, they love their favorite driver, and your driver sucks. Right. You know, and I love that about NASCAR. And, you know, there was nothing, you know, better than, you know, being in Alabama and having some old person that only knows me from NASCAR talking NASCAR with me. I mean, that to me is just is the greatest thing in the world. Right. And now, I live in a place that's called Race City, USA, which is Mooresville, North Carolina. That is awesome. So now, next month, uh, in August, we've got the Cat House Live coming back here to Los Angeles. Now, you've been away for a while. Tell us about that. Well, I moved to North Carolina seven months ago, actually eight months, about eight months ago. And, um, you know, I, I, do, I take really long motorcycle rides. You know, last year I did one lap around America by myself, 11,400 miles. Oh. Me and Tammy go coast to coast all the time. We went from Mexico to Canada. And several times I stopped in North Carolina. I just loved it. And um, I hey, hey, Ricky, real quick, um, what you, would you do that trip on? What kind of bike? Um, every every one of my long trips has been on a Harley Davidson. The earlier ones were on a 2010 Road Glide, and then Harley Davidson started letting me use bikes. So I was using an Ultra Classic. I just did a big thing in Miami. Um, last year I did the two months, 11,400 mile on an Ultra Limited Harley Davidson. But for the riding that I'm doing this summer, is all going to be on my own personal bike, which is the 2010 Road Glide. Okay. That's a nice ride. And and Tammy's got what? He's got a, a night train or something? Yeah. Did did he do that across country on that? Tammy Tammy will ride just like I will ride. And that 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 to me is just is such a blessing because, you know, five, six years ago, the last thing any of us would ever expect would be to see Tammy on a motorcycle. Uh-huh. But Tammy <laughs> took to it the same way I did in nineteen eighty six. Uh-huh. You know, when I got a when I got my first Harley, he loves his bike. He rides all the time, and and for instance, if I if I'm in Los Angeles and I say I feel like Mexican food, and I say, Tammy, you want to just go ride to Tijuana for a burrito? Tammy's like, What's the I'm down. Uh huh. I mean, I love riding with him more than anything, and I also love riding with Gilby, and I have a friend Grant Reynolds, and I mean, I have these guys these guys that I ride with that I just love riding with. Right. You know, and Gilby. Gilby Clark was the first person that was doing long rides. You know, he, I remember him telling me one time he rode the Sturgis by himself. Wow. And I thought that was the most fascinating. You rode to South Dakota by yourself. Oh, my God. It's like not knowing that, you know, three years later I would be riding from New York to Los Angeles and back by myself or whatever, you know. Crazy. But, um, you know, the, between, the, between me and Gilby and Tammy, we love to ride and love to ride long, long, long miles. Yeah. And there's nothing better in the planet. I agree. I've been riding since I'm 12 years old, man. So I Oh, no kidding. And I just barely picked up uh my first Harley. I've had lots of street bikes, lots of as my friends call them hardly hardly Davidsons. Um but uh in fact, the first Harley I got was worked on by uh, your buddy Troy. Um No kidding. Yeah, it was a, a 90 FXR. And, um, he had, there was some work done on it. Then he got it, had some, he was doing some work on it and it ended up with a buddy uh, named Rick Hendricks. You might know he's a photographer and I got the bike from Rick, but I'm telling you, this thing was 
you didn't ride this bike. You just hung on. I mean, it was, right. it was, and I lived down in Laguna Niguel. This thing was, you know, freaking outlaw central. I mean, it was, you know, black, uh, primered paint uncorked. I mean, loud as hell. And, uh, now I, now I ride a, a heritage classic, which is much more my speed, you know, but well, it, I also, I also, I also own a Ducati, a Ducati Hypermotard. Oh, you got a need which for is speed. my second Ducati. So I have, I have my hot rod. When I want to go fast, I mean, I live, you know, it's half a day for me to be on Tail of the Dragon, you know, two hours to be on Blue Ridge Parkway. I have some of the best riding in the planet here in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. So I have a Ducati, which is basically, Ducati is like a Ferrari supermoto bike. It's just a badass looking machine that I just love to ride just for the hell of it. So please be careful, brother, because that is a rocket ship. Oh, wait. So anyway, so um, the Cat House, I, I, I wanted to do something for the longest time. I wanted to do a Cat House tour. I wanted to do this. And I, I'd approached it to a buddy of mine, John Reese, for a long time and said, you know, I really want to do this rock festival. And, you know, then time passed. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he came and said, hey, we want to do this, this festival, this Cat House festival. And, you know, we talked back and forth and argued and scratched and clawed back and forth until we finally came up with this festival, which is Cat House Live, which is just, it's very, very exciting. Hopefully it's the start of a few things to come. There will never be another, like, you know, hey, Cat House this week, Cat House. This, I mean, if I do another Cat House festival in L.A., it will be in one year. You know, right. I do Cat House on the Monsters of Rock cruise now, but... I don't, you know, I want Cat House to always be special, and that's why I'm really working my ass off, much harder than you can imagine, making sure that Cat House Live just blows people away. So, Rick, give us the, the lineup real quick, as, as many as you know, because I know there's a lot. <laughs> there's 25. Let's see how many I can, I can mention. Okay. Tom Kiefer. I'm going to see if I can name all 25, okay? okay. Tom Kiefer, Sebastian Bach. Stephen Piercy, Dawkin, Faster Pussycat, LA Guns, Bang Tango, Jet Boy, um, Dangerous Toys, of course, Junkyard, there's 10, um, Bullet Boys, Saigon Kick, Trickster, Tough, Pretty Boy Floyd, um, that's 15, hold on, oh shoot, I can't even, I know I'm missing some ones that I really, really like too. Did you mention Extreme? Oh, how could I forgot? I forgot to mention Extreme. Oops. Yes, Extreme's playing as well. Um, wow, I can't believe that I can't even that I can't even. Offer That's okay, man. I don't want to put you on the spot. Now you're also doing something really cool for for locals here. You are doing a battle Hold of on, the band. I'm still trying to remember. Oh, okay, I, I just didn't want to put you in the hot seat, Ricky. <laughs> I'm, I'm already, oh, hold, hold on a second, let me, let me, be, let me let's do this over this time, let me put it on my computer and pretend like I'm trying to think of the bands that are fine, because I know that I've got some really, really good ones out, hold on. Oh, you asked who was playing Cat House Live, did you? Yes. Sure. <laughs> I believe that there were 25 bands. Off the top of my head, these bands are, waiting his computer, <laughs> um, okay. Here's who's playing the Cat House Live. Sebastian Bach, like I said, which I'm really excited. Sebastian Bach was something, somebody, Sebastian Bach and Tom Kiefer were bands that I really, really wanted. Then we've got Extreme, we've got Dawkins, we've got Faster Pussycat, Stephen Piercy, Saigon Kick. How can I forget Gilby Clark? Of course Gilby, Gilby Clark. Clark. Gilby is also putting together the uh, All-Star Jam Band. Dangerous Toys, L.A. Guns, Junkyard, Trickster, Autograph, Black and Blue, Tracy Guns, Enough's Enough, Bullet Boys, Bang Tango, Jet Boy, Pretty Boy Floyd, Tough, and Little Caesar. Man, that that's 1987 rolled into one. That's like, that's like a, I mean, I, I mean, the truth is, I just want to do the biggest festival of this type of music genre. Right. And, and not only do we have, I think, more bands than any of the other ones have, our tickets are starting at 15 bucks. You know, and there's a chopper show, and there's going to be girls, go-go girls, and we're doing all sorts of stuff that's making it a very cat house feeling event. You know, it's got to have a sleaze and raunch, and, you know, right. there's a lot of reasons why this isn't a money-making venture for me, because I keep on trying to think of new things to do that make people, you know, really think this is, you know, 
a, a speci- special than, than any of the other rock festivals. Absolutely. Now, Ricky, um, give us the date and where our listeners can get tickets. Well, like the first the first thing we have is um, is the Battle of the Bands. Now, the Battle of the Bands is happening July 14th at the Whiskey. Um, that'll be my first time back in L.A. I will be there, and I will be in the box office selling a Cat House Lawn ticket, a ticket to Battle of the Bands, and a Cat House shirt for 40 bucks. and I'm going to be in the box office selling them myself. Sweet. To get tickets, just go to cathouselive.com. For any information about the event, you can go to the Facebook page, which is Cat House Hollywood. And, um, you know, just go to cathouselive.com and Ticketmaster. That's who's got the, the tickets, and they're great priced, and they're, they're, they're moving. I mean, I'm, I'm really hoping this thing is going to sell out, which would be pretty damn cool, 15,000 people. And, you know, that, w- that would be very impressive in, in Southern California. It's You know, this is a tough place to sell, sell metal shows at, so... Um, you're doing... LA is without a doubt the hardest place to do this. I know for a fact that if I did this in any other, if I did it in the South, if I did it in Texas, if I did it in, in Phoenix, if I did it anywhere else, it would have been sold out already. Right. But I wanted to do it in California, and I know that if we do it and do well here, because California, you know, they say everybody is jaded and people don't go out, which I guess to an extent is true, which is a shame. Right. But... You know, I, I I'm I wanted to do it here. There was no other place that I would have done this event. That is awesome. So, CatHouseLive.com. Go get your tickets now. Make your hotel reservations if you're coming from out of town because this is going to be one for the ages, folks. Yeah, I, a lot of people are planning on coming from out of town, and I'm trying to do some pre-show events. Okay. You know, I'm trying to do some sort of parties and stuff like that because um, I think that's you know if you're coming from out of town. You know, there's not a lot of people, like, people are just, they do their concerts, and I'm not putting those other concerts down, but it's like, they get your money, and then then they're done. Right. You know, they don't think, okay, what can people do when there's not a band playing? What about people that are going out of town? What else is going on? You know, I'm trying to think of all these free things that people can do. Sure, while they're in town. You know, so. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Ricky, brother, again, I want to just say congratulations on, on a really wonderful career lots of ups and downs um but you're you're on top once again my friend and uh i couldn't be happier for you well thank you i appreciate it and you know things that go up and down are always the best so (laughs) absolutely ricky thanks for your time bro (laughs) thank you very much you shake my nerves and you rattle my brain you're listening to radio screamer with diamond dave castagno You've been listening to an exclusive interview with Ricky Rackman right here on Radio Screamer, and I thank you. It appears our time together is just about over. I want to remind you the July issue of Screamer magazine featuring Breaking Benjamin is available online now, so be sure and check that out. Got lots of goodies in there for you, like some Van Halen, Steel Panther, Hailstorm Trickster, and so much more. I want to say thanks again to Ricky for his time and stories. Look forward to chopping it up in Irvine. Before I sign off, I want to thank you for listening. We know you have your choice of radio programs to fly, and I truly appreciate you choosing to fly mine. Although not a Cat House original, taking us out today is Cat House Live headliner Extreme. From 1990's Extreme 2 Porno Graffiti, it's wholehearted. Till next week, love y'all. Don't buy my time Priorities don't use the mind
You've been listening to RadioScreamer.com with Diamond Dave Castagno.